from downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. This is Money Talk for the end of 2022, and what a year it's been. Checking the calendar, the Packers are hoping to start the new year with a bang when they host the Vikings Sunday afternoon. And your Milwaukee Bucks are at the Forum tonight against the Timberwolves and Sunday for the first of two games against the Wizards. Also, today is National Bacon Day, so we should celebrate with bacon-wrapped anything, or bacon dipped in chocolate, or, I mean, even bacon chapstick. A crazy woman broke into Robert De Niro's Manhattan townhouse and was caught stealing his Christmas presents. Stealing from De Niro can only mean one thing. She's obviously never seen The Godfather, Goodfellas, or Taxi Driver. Talk about a porch pirate. A Florida man ordered delivery from Chick-fil-A, but lost it to a black bear. The bear waited for the driver to leave the porch so he could grab the 30 nuggets and large fries, but the bear screwed up. He's also supposed to get a drink with that order. Another one from Florida. At 2 in the morning, a man was arrested for slapping a police horse on the rear end. Just how much alcohol do you think was involved? His defense was, I'm sorry, officer, I didn't know I couldn't do that. Another win for the Florida school system. <laughs> Italians have style. The car company Lamborghini has given a number of their supercars to various Italian police agencies. Recently, one supercar with a top speed of 200 miles an hour and a price tag around $400,000 was used to transport two kidneys needed for transplant. How cool is that? Now, if the same scenario were to happen in Wisconsin, we'd probably be transporting body parts in a little Nash Rambler. The results might be a little bit different. Passing up a Cadillac. At the big table today, we've got Paige Radke, Tom Pappenfuss, and looking back on 2022, here's Kyle Tedding. Well, thanks, Jason. And yeah, tough year, uh, but tried, tried to get positive numbers this week and yet uh, couldn't quite make it. The NASDAQ down three-tenths of a percent this week, despite a Friday afternoon rally, uh, closing the week at 10,466, really closing the year at 10,466. The S&P 500 down five points this week, one-tenth of a percent, closing the year at 3840. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down two-tenths of a percent, 56 points, all in uh, all in Friday's return, closing the year at 33,148 for the year. And this is just price return. The NASDAQ down 33.1%. The S&P down 19.4%. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 8.8%. For the year, the, year on, the yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury moved 237 basis points higher, beginning the year at around 1.5%, 1.51, closing the year at 388 that's uh, a quick look at the week page, Tom. I think uh, a good opportunity here at year end to take some time to look back at the year that was, talk a little bit about the road ahead. Um, certainly no shortage of items on the list as far as kind of major themes for the year. What I think is interesting is that a lot of the major themes from this year likely to be major themes into the early part of next year, some of them carrying a little further on. But, you know, I think maybe, Tom, the place to start with inflation, a reminder, of course, that we've been through some pretty tough times with inflation. Um, yeah, Tom, tell us a little bit about where we've been. Well, I mean, inflation, as we, we all know, has been kind of a pain and a, a thorn in our side for the entire year. 40-year um, high inflation mark, you know, these levels we haven't really seen since the late 70s. And, um, you know, what 
we've witnessed here with inflation is persistent and stubbornly high inflation. Um, I mean, this started going up uh, in the latter half of uh, 2021. Uh, I think we began this year roughly uh, at a top line inflation mark around 7%. Um, and just now recently, uh, based on our last monthly report on inflation, we're getting back down about that 7% number. But uh, we really did peak out in June at about 9.1%, um, you know, much to uh, you know, uh, the demise of all of us and, and to the markets, um, as it seems like the market has been paying very close attention to where inflation's at is more or less an indicator of what our Federal Reserve may do with respect to rates, uh, and rates being a function of you know how we price and value companies. So, um, yeah, this, it's been a, a difficult, difficult year uh, on our pocketbooks, um, and has impacted consumer confidence, investor sentiment as a result of that. And uh, but it is heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think Paige, you know, obviously we care as much about the absolute number as we do about direction, um, and. You know, going into the last four or five months of the of 2022, some signs that maybe inflation is slowing. Of course, uh, you know it's not enough to go from north and nine down to seven. You got to see uh, some additional progress back towards the Fed's target. Yeah, exactly. When you're looking at inflation, you know, there's different ways to look at it. We don't definitely don't want deflation. We don't want overly high inflation. But what we have right now is what we would call disinflation. So, you know, looking at things right now, we may have seen those inflation numbers peak. And so now just the question is, how long is it going to take us to get back down to normal? Um, depending on what measure you like to look at, I know the Fed had been using 2%, which was arguably more of a target trying to get back up to rather than trying to get back down to. So I, I prefer to use the 3% long-term average on the inflation side of things. And, and really, it's just a question of whether inflation continues to accelerate or if it has crested and it's going to go down from here. And I think when you look at the Fed, especially, and, and the moves that they've made this year to combat inflation, the real question is, how high are they going to go with rates? How long are they going to stay there? And that all comes down to inflation. Um, right now, I think maybe there's a little too much optimism in how quickly those inflation numbers are going to come down. Traditionally, once inflation passes 8% and continues to go up from there, which is what we saw this year, it can take anywhere from 8 to 20 years to get inflation back down to that 3% level. That's not to say that that's going to happen this time, but I do think that we have to start looking at these inflation numbers and recognizing that we may not see these big downward trajectories like some people are predicting. Well, and I think it's important to look at what forecasts for 2023 look like. The Federal Reserve, a number of other forecasters talking about inflation averaging somewhere around 3.5% next year. To your point, Paige, if it's four or four and a half that we average next year instead of three and a half, I think that could catch some people by surprise. The one catch in all this, I think, is that you know you're talking about an economy at that point in time that's probably going to slow pretty drastically based on how much action the Fed would have to continue to take. And so, you know, the the forecast right now, the expectation is that rates maybe start to slow in the second half of next year as inflation finally is under control, you know, we're, we're prepared for a variety of outcomes. We have to be. Um, but that said, you know, again, I think as we look at kind of the road ahead, important to understand how difficult it is for inflation to keep up at that pace, right? We, we measure things on a year-over-year -year or month-to-month -month basis when the base number is already very high, when the number we're looking at the prior year is already very high, it makes it more difficult for the rate of growth to continue at the pace it's growing at. And so, 
want to remind people that doesn't mean prices are going down. It does mean that to continue to increase at the rate it's increasing at, it, it becomes more difficult going, going forward. Yeah, and I think it's important to note, too, that just when we look at where the inflation is coming from, that's also changing. So at the start of 2022, it was really it was lumber prices that we were talking about, used car prices, home prices were continuing to go up. We saw gas and oil spike. Now, those have a lot of those things have come down. A lot of the supply concerns that we had on the good side of the inflation picture has have been cleared up. And so now we're starting to see inflation more so in global macro trends like food prices. And then also just domestically looking at services inflation rather than just looking at goods inflation. So while the top line number may start to look different, we do have to start drilling a little bit deeper to recognize that Prices may have come down drastically year over year in some places, but are still rising in others. And I think a lot of our clients probably see that booking trips home from Florida or Arizona back to Wisconsin for the you know Christmas break here. Um, you know, certainly the ticket prices were a lot higher than they had been in the past. And then, oh by the way, a lot of those flights didn't go. And so, um, I think a lot of people rethinking some of those service sector purchases based on some of the issues we've had. You know, obviously the the jumping off point from inflation to the Fed is quite obvious. The Fed's been the thing that we've been counting on to keep inflation under control. Uh, a reminder that it's clear now the Fed was a little late to the game. I think it's also clear that the Fed's tools, maybe not the best tools to fight the kind of inflation that we saw in particular early on in the, kind of this cycle. Um, but I think Page, a good reminder that the Fed has been clear about their desire to win this war over seven meetings this year, a pretty significant move higher in interest rates, potentially one of the most significant we've ever seen. Exactly. I mean, Jerome Powell has said over and over again that he believes that the risk of not going high enough with these interest rate hikes is greater than the risk of going too high. So they have been more aggressive this year than really they have ever been. Um, so when we're talking about rising interest rates and the impact that has on bond markets, stock markets, and then the economy overall, it's less about how much they have increased interest rates and more about the pace in which they have increased interest rates. So they went up 4.25% 4, 4 over just under 10 months timeframe that is not only the largest increase in interest rates the Fed has ever done, it's also the quickest that they've ever done an increase like that. Um, and so really, you know, looking back in time, the, the last time that we have a comparable move from the Fed is 1969. Um, other than that, we can look to 1988 to 1989, you know, 2002 or 2004 to 2006 is another good example. But again, the time frame that they were increasing interest rates was so much longer that that's really why we've seen bonds perform the way they have this year, which prior to this year, the last worst period was 1969. Um, so, uh, you know, continue to keep a really close eye on the Fed, um, continuing to look at where inflation numbers are, like we said before, because that's really going to drive what the Federal Reserve does. Um, and I think that it, in all likelihood, they are going to be willing to push unemployment a little bit higher in favor of trying to get inflation down. And they're going to do that by rising interest rates, though probably not as quickly in 2023. Yeah, it does seem clear that the pace of, of rate hikes is slowing now. The December meeting, uh, a 50 basis point increase, unlike the 75 we'd seen the prior couple of meetings. And I think 
You know, we've been talking about this since that December meeting, but I certainly don't envy the job that uh, Jay Powell and the Fed have now. Um, and I think some of it is you think about when you start a campfire in the forest and before you walk away from that campfire, you got to make sure it's completely put out. And if that means dumping sand and water on it, that's what you're going to do. And I think Jay Powell and the Fed are doing everything they can to dump sand and water on the fire that is inflation, even if it means that he's got to talk a little tougher than he otherwise would, even if it means they've got to take one more step than they otherwise would have taken, because ultimately you got to make sure that fires out before you walk away from it and move on to the next adventure. And so I think that's kind of the job that the Fed faces. It's the unenviable task we have right now. And of course, Tom, as we look ahead, I think it sets up potentially quite nicely for fixed income following a year in which bonds were pretty significantly challenged, interest rates coming from near zero on the overnight to four and a quarter. Well, now you can get some pretty attractive interest rates on bonds. And if the Fed's pace of rate increases is going to continue to slow and ultimately come to an end, there's an end in sight for just how bad or how painful the journey for bonds can be before we start getting the benefits of those higher rates. Yeah, this is uh, usually the, the segue in my conversations all year is to the silver lining of higher rates, right? Is we're getting to this point, as much as we don't like the effect of rising rates at the moment, it, when we kind of come out of this tunnel, we're in a, in a higher yield world. So, you know, we've gone through a decade, you know, post-2009 financial crisis where we've had you know, all of our conversations were about low to no yield. Where where are we getting returns? And so investors consistently had to keep going back into the markets, taking on more risk than they might normally have taken to generate those positive returns. Well, now we're in an environment for everybody, but probably more specifically retirees or people looking to retire, where your safe money is going to do a lot harder work for you. Your greater percentage of your portfolio's returns are going to come from that safe money. So, you know, kind of looking at the the simple math of where your your fixed income or your bonds are going to generate uh, total returns, you know, we've got right now on average, your your average bond fund or bond is probably priced at a discount because it's lost value based on, again, the effect of that inverse relationship. Uh, you got now higher yields, maybe you're averaging two to two and a half percent on a kind of an intermediate term bond portfolio. Now it's probably pushing three to four percent. So we've got a nice increase in yield there. Uh, and then let's say, you, you know, if you kind of back into the math and if we're going to get maybe one percent appreciation uh, just from bonds maturing over time and, and recovering that discount that they're currently priced at, um, couple that with yield, and maybe, you know, if, if rates stay the same, you're just capturing the yield and you're making a few percent. Um, but let's say maybe yields come down or interest rates need to go down again to be a bit more accommodative, you know, possible scenario. Um, it, it, it looks very favorable for, for people that, um, you know, have balanced portfolios or want to be a little bit more defensive-minded. And I think we, we put so much stock in kind of the January 1 to December 31 time period. And while it's, you know, a, a calendar year, it's largely arbitrary when it comes to retirement, when it comes to returns, when it comes to any real expectation of long term. You know, the fact that we peaked on January 3rd this year and then <clears throat> essentially we're straight down from there has nothing to do with the calendar and everything to do with just where we were you know, at that time. And so, you know, while we like to talk about kind of clean breaks as far as year to year, quarter to quarter, you know, I think the reality is, yeah, okay, it might be February, April before the real rally in bonds start or the real opportunity in bonds start. Okay, so you're going to get a little more pain before that, if that's the example we're using. 
it doesn't mean you don't want to be in bonds now. It doesn't mean that the year looks any different. It's just maybe your year starts in February now instead of January. And so um, I think that's going to be part of the problem we face in the new year is not putting too much emphasis on when's the Fed going to end? When is recession going to be here? How significant is it going to be? But this understanding that okay, we're, we're best positioned for what we think the outlook is, even if that outlook is four months instead of one month. And I think it highlights some of the challenge we faced this year as it relates not just to bonds, but to stocks as well, right? That it's atypical that we get a year in which both bonds and stocks were challenged as much as they were. It fits neatly into a calendar year, which I think is maybe an interesting but useless bit of information. Um, and and yet, I think a lot of things to point to in 2022 as far as volatility is concerned, Tom, in particular, looking at something as simple as growth versus value or more defensive names versus less defensive names. Yeah, I mean, um, again, directly related to the path and where rates have gone, you've seen the higher valuation companies uh, namely in, in uh, the investment style of growth or tech sectors and consumer discretionary telecommunications, uh, they've taken it on the chin the hardest. Um, you know, the interest rates are a direct function of how you fairly value a company. Um, and, and when rates go higher, the higher valuation companies are, are going to feel it the worst. So uh, we've seen a lot of volatility this year um, directly related to um, where rates have gone and also the anticipation of where we think um, the Fed may be going with their rate uh, uh, policy. And, and so I think that's been a really interesting piece is, is we've, <laughs> uh, you know, our, uh, the markets have tried to guess and try to guess at how dovish or how hawkish our Fed may be. And, and so, um, you know, we've seen a lot of fund flows move into defensive names, you know, try to capture at least some dividend yield and things like that. Um, so those have been the winners and those typically contain the sectors of you know, consumer staples, uh, utilities, um, healthcare, et cetera, um, relative to, to the growth stocks. You know, Paige, I can always count on you for a good statistic. Put 2022's volatility in some perspective for us. Where where are we seeing it? Why? You know, what what's the magnitude here? Yeah, so real quick, I'll add some color to Tom's point about defensive names versus growth names um, real quick, because really this year it was the speculative names that we really saw start to sell off. Um, so looking at Morningstar using their price to fair value metric, so it kind of takes the earnings expectations out of that equation. Um, at the start of the year, growth stocks, large cap growth, was about 17% overvalued. And based off of that metric, it's now down to about 17% undervalued. Um, so when you take that into context, and knowing that that's about a seven and a half, or sorry, a 29% change in valuations, growth stocks being down 40% this year, um, that's just a prime example of just how much the speculative nature of those growth names can play into the volatility. Um, you contrast that to the large cap value side of things, and you know they the. They did get cheaper this year, but only about seven, almost eight percent cheaper, and only dropped about two and a half percent. So we saw valuation contractions in both sides of the market. We just saw the price return be a lot more outsized on the growth side because of those, you know, more speculative or more uncertain nature of their earnings expectations. Um, but then, kind of taking that back to you know just risky assets in general. I mean, volatility was the name of the game in 2022. Um, 
from a, on a given day, you know, you could see swings, large swings in either direction, up and down. Um, but really, um, there was there's an article that came out the other day looking at the fact that in 2022, there were five trading days alone that accounted for 95 percent of the downward trajectory in the S&P 500. Um, Now, obviously, those days would have been very, very difficult to predict. And of course, leading from the first conversation we had today, um, the main drivers were inflation and the Fed. (laughs) Um, So two of those days were caused by disappointing inflation data, where it actually came in higher than was expected. Um, And then the rest of those five days were because of either weak corporate earnings or commentary from Jerome Powell. Um, So again, I think that as long as we're hanging on every word that the Fed has to say, as long as we're dissecting the inflation numbers each and every time they come out, those are all things that are very hard to predict. And so while we have that level of uncertainty, there's going to continue to be volatility. Oh, and the, the thing I like about that statistic, that 95% of the, the decline in the S&P came from five trading days, is it works the other direction as well. Um, and so it's, a, it's a, a statistic against market timing, right? This idea that if you can get the vast majority of the return one way or the other in a small number of days – Predicting those days is fairly difficult. Yeah, you might know that the day of the Fed meets, it could be a really big day or a really bad day, but you don't know which way it's going to go until that day's already started. Um, it tells you that you don't want to be out of the market even a little bit, because if you miss one of those days, you miss a big part of the potential return. And so I think the key is to find the right allocation before those days come to make sure that you're comfortable with what you have because you don't want to miss out. Um, And I think most importantly, a reminder that as long as the Fed is the conversation, as you rightfully point out, Paige, it's going to be more of the same for a while. And so we've got another Fed meeting at the beginning of February. Um, I think that'll be an interesting time, not just because of that, but because as we look to 2023, we're going to get a lot more information by kind of mid-February on what earnings are supposed to look like. And so you know, yeah, it's not looking like a great year. We're coming off the heels of what wasn't a great year either. If you strip out the energy names, we're probably talking about an earnings recession this year. Um, And so I think as we look ahead to 2023, you're not going to need great earnings to carry the stock market. Valuations are more attractive now than they were at the start of this year, Paige, as you point out. And so I think it, it sets up nicely for maybe a year that begins with a bit of a boom and ends with a bit of a sizzle uh, in that we're going to have answers to more of these questions, things like Ukraine, things like how strong the dollar stays, um, whether the West of the, whether the rest of the world can begin to participate uh, or not. And, you know, I think all of that shapes up for some more optimism for next year than what we've had this year. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think another important thing to note, too, is that it could have been a lot worse this year. Um, A lot of the excess cash that was plugged into the system in 2020 and 2021 went other places. Um, Whereas, you know, in the 2000s, we saw that irrational exuberance in the tech names. In the last few years, we saw that more so in cryptocurrency and NFTs and things like SPACs or special acquisition or special purpose acquisition corporations. Those all saw much, much 
more drastic declines in 2022 than what we saw in stocks. Um, and so it's just a good remind, a reminder that valuations matter. Um, this year it was all about valuation contraction. And if you're if you're if it's an asset like SPACs and like cryptocurrency where it's very difficult to have a valuation because there's very little cash flow, um, it's just a good reminder that you got to watch out for those things when things get a little bit dicey. Um, but again, luckily a lot of that energy went into that area of the market. So you know, for those of us that advise against that, especially for our retired clients, there was some positive nature to, to 2022 as we've seen the sort of risk off environment take hold. Well, thanks for putting a positive spin on the year page. Tom, thanks for joining. Um, you know, most importantly, a uh, safe, happy, and prosperous new year uh, to all our listeners. Uh, we always enjoy doing the program for you, and we will talk to you again next year. Thank you for listening to Money Talk with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk at landis.com. To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page at landis.com.